Welcome to the Clubhouse with Shane Bacon. I'm your host, Shane Bacon. This episode of the Clubhouse with Jim Bones Mackay is brought to you by Ogio. Guys and gals, I just went on a great golf trip to Scotland. And what did I take with me? My brand new Ogio Cirrus stand bag. And I have to tell you, the caddies were very happy with me weighing in at just 3.2 pounds. It's the lightest golf bag that Ogio makes. And it's absolutely perfect for the golfer that likes to walk and the golfer that likes to travel. You don't sacrifice pocket space for a weightless feel. And even though I tried to bog that bad boy down with rain gear and beanies, the caddies could barely notice. The Ogio Cirrus bag is a perfect purchase, as is all the products that Ogio makes. Check them all out at ogio.com, O-G-I-O.com. Also, I just wanted to remind everyone to check out Scratch TV. Scratch continues to roll out original video that bring together golf and humor in a unique way that only Scratch seems to be able to do. The idea is to deliver content in a voice that delivers it exactly to the social media world, and they do that extremely well. It's just golf. Try not to take it so seriously. Check out everything they do on Twitter at Scratch, S-K-R-A-T-C-H. A fun one? With Jim Bones Mackay, I told you guys about him coming on. Of course, uh, big news with him joining NBC and the Golf Channel. He's going to do a lot of broadcasting work for them over the next four months. And I know people are really, really excited to hear from him. So I'm excited he had some time to jump on with us. And I want to get to him just as soon as we can. So just two things. One, we continue to roll out that Clubhouse newsletter twice a week on Mondays and Wednesdays. All the golf news you need and nothing you don't. You can sign up for it on the link pinned right atop our Twitter page, at the Clubhouse Pod. That's the Twitter page. Do that. You can also check out the new website we put out, ShaneBaconGolf.com. That's also a place you can sign up for the newsletter and just really see what we've got going on, a lot of different things, along with, of course, you know, the broadcasting we're doing for Fox, including the U.S. Women's Open next week from Bedminster. I'll be hosting Thursday and Friday of that, so you'll see me in a suit and a tie and a pocket square. Went shopping earlier this week for a couple of new ones, so... Maybe uh, not the exact same suit I've been wearing every day for the past four years, so check that out. That'll be on Fox starting. We have a Wednesday preview show, and then, of course, we'll get rolling on Thursday and Friday on FS1 and then over the weekend on Fox. But enough of that for me. Let's get to our guest, an exciting one, one I know you're excited to hear as well. And we welcome into the clubhouse a man that now has a new job. Bones, I got to tell you, you're not doing the fun employment thing correctly. You're supposed to take, like, a summer off and – hang on a boat and do all that stuff. You, you're right back in it. Shane, I'm right back in it. You know, my kids want to go to Disney World and my wife <laughs> likes to go to the store. So, uh, you know, I got to get back to work. Yeah, you've been doing some media throughout the day. Is this the most famous you've ever felt? Uh, I will never use that word and associate it with myself, but it's been, <laughs> it's been, uh, it, it's been, um, it's been a crazy day, but a great day. I mean, it's, uh, I'm really excited about what's going on. Well, when news broke after Aaron Hills that you and Phil were parting ways, I think the initial thought to a lot of people were that you'd be back out on the golf course, that you'd be back out looping. I read that you got some offers for some players, and I know you know some other TV networks maybe at least reach out to you in an initial conversation. How realistic was it that you'd go back out on the golf course to caddy, and when did the TV thing start to become a real deal? Well, you know, things moved really quickly after the announcement came out about Phil and I not working together anymore. And I was, you know, with my family in Eugene, Oregon, sitting in a hotel room and, and, and the phone was ringing a little bit. And I just, you know, spoke to some to some, you know, players that were nice enough to call. And uh, and Tommy Roy called very, very quickly. And and uh, I, I've got immense respect for Tommy, as I do everybody in that industry out there, uh, including yourself, because I know you're a part of it. And um, you know, Tommy, Tommy is a good friend as a lot of those guys are, but he came really hard and, 
and, uh, you know, made me feel, you know, very special in a sense in terms of potentially doing this. And so, uh, it just, it, it happened very quickly and it's been going nonstop now for a couple of weeks and, and here we are today. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I can only imagine that when the news broke about you and Phil basically mutually parting ways, I mean, I'm assuming that there's plenty of players out there that would love to have a veteran caddy, especially somebody, you know, as respected as you on the bag. I mean, is caddy and something that you think you've kind of written off at this point? Is it something that you don't see yourself doing again? No, uh, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I, I'm uh, very fortunate to have this situation uh, with NBC uh, and their golf team. But, uh, you know, there are, are other weeks in the year. And if, you know, a, a friend of mine, you know, twisted an ankle or, or something like that went on, you know, I, I, would, I would help out a friend in, in any way I could, uh, as I would in, in any aspect of life. So I, I, would, uh, I would definitely wouldn't say that I'll never caddy again. How soon after all this news started to break did, did Phil actually reach out and give you the, the old congrats text or call? Well, uh, you know, it broke this morning, and, and um, you know, again, I'm new to this business, and I wanted to keep it as quiet <laughs> as I could on my end and, and, and did what I was told. And uh, Phil, you know, it's a very big week for Phil, you know, with his relationship with the Greenbrier event and, and, and that tournament and obviously what they're coming back from with uh, all the difficulties that that area went through in the last year or so. So, um, you know, I texted him this morning, and I said, hey, First of all, best of luck today. And by the way, I've got this you know, little thing going on today, you know, just to give him a heads up. But, you know, most importantly, you know, it's a tournament day for him, and I didn't want to get in the way of any of that. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, he's, he's got it. Like you said, he's got to tee it up. I mean, he's got this, this is a chance for him to, to compete and win. I mean, like you've said it a whole bunch of times over the last few weeks, this is a guy that still has a ton of game and has a chance to win. I wanted to flip to your first event, which will be the Open Championship. What's going to be your schedule like over the next couple of weeks as you prep I mean, are you going to go to the golf course early? Are you going to talk to some people that do on course? I know you've done on course before, but is there a schedule that you have laid out, or is it just familiarizing yourself again with the golf course and just getting ready in that sense? Yeah, I want to get over there as as uh, as early as they'll let me, and uh, I you know set up camp and, and 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 go check out the course because you know as you know Shane you know the tour or professional golfers go to a lot of courses and there's a certain amount of work that goes into to knowing it as a caddy, or I think as a broadcaster. And, uh, you know, some courses don't take that long, but, a, but an open championship course is just the opposite. You know, you, uh, not only have to know the golf course, but you have to think about the holes being played in, you know, three or four different wins as, as, uh, as you guys probably had at uh, Aaron Hills this year. So just so much more goes into it. And, um, I got a lot of homework to do. I got a lot of catching up to do. I got a lot to do, period. So <laughs> I want to get over there and, and get my head in the right space. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that you were looking through your yardage book, um, uh, you know, getting familiarizing yourself once again with the golf course. And it was I was just thinking to myself, A, how many yardage books do you still have? How far back do they go? And B, where do you keep all those things? <laughs> Well, they are in a shoebox in in my house, and uh, I've always I've always told my wife that if you know, God forbid, the house ever catches on fire, you know, we get the family out, and then we get the yardage books out. Um, now, you know, certainly uh, in my new line of work, that you know, they're not as uh, you know, there there might be a couple of things we you know we we might get out ahead of them now, but but no, I you know you you, you keep them. They're they're very very valuable. You know, the yardage books that I've had for Augusta National and, 
Actually, you know, one of the most valuable ones that we had over the years, Shane, was uh, the one from the International in Denver. And unfortunately, that tournament's not played anymore. But Phil had a tremendous amount of success there. And, and not because of me, but because of we, we had this idea that we would stop, you know, basically pulling clubs like, uh, like he and I would do at any other tour event. And we would just go strictly off of what we'd done, uh, similar yardages at that altitude in the past. And so, uh, we, you know, factoring in wind and, and you know, humidity and temperature and things like that. So that yardage book for, for a long time was one that I guarded very, uh, very closely. I mean, do you have them dating back to like the early 90s? I mean, is this something that you, you can consult one from 95 Open Championship or, or 98? I mean, are, are these things still around or at some point do you have to part ways with them? Well, I, I do have them and, and, and yes, but as you know, you know, you, as you go to, uh, I'm sure that when we get to the Open Championship here in a couple of weeks that they're going to have added, you know, 30, 40 yards to some holes and uh, the golf course won't quite be the same. And, of course, with all of the uh, improvements, if you will, in the equipment, especially now as far as the golf ball goes, um, a lot of my notes became obsolete very quickly. And, uh, and I noticed that, you know, with, you know, the drivers and the golf ball getting better and better literally year by year, that uh, some of that some of that information that I gathered over the years became uh, useless. Yeah, I mean it, ma- it makes sense. I mean we we like you said, there, there's probably bunkers in a in a book from '95 at St Andrews that literally don't even come to play anymore, especially with how far some of these guys hit it. You mentioned in, in your uh, in your news conference that you talked to a few people. I think you mentioned Steve Sands. Have, have you reached out to any of these guys, and will you reach out to them over the next couple of weeks just to chat about you know, what you can and can't do on course or how just to make yourself a little bit more comfortable as you get into you know, four days of doing this? I absolutely will. Um, you know, Tommy Roy, through this entire thing, we've talked uh, almost daily, I would say, and, and he's been this in- incredible you know, resource of information. And Steve Sands has been one of my best friends for 10 or 15 years, so I'm going to be wearing these guys out because, you know, I've got so much to learn uh, about, you know, everything. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to be that guy out there trying to get a little better each day because uh, I've, I, I obviously know I've got so far to go. Yeah. You, you know, what's what's the one thing I always found really interesting. And I mean, I've done done on course a little bit. I did it last week at the U.S. Senior at Salem is I didn't ever realize how fast you had to walk. I mean, you feel like one of those mall walkers, you know, like that get there at 9 a.m. an hour before the mall opens. You were speed walking just to make sure you're 30, 40, 50 yards ahead of the guys because the last thing you ever want to do is interrupt a player. I mean, that's really rule number one about being on course. Absolutely. You know, the, the one time that I did it a couple of years ago at the RSM Classic, I found myself, as you say, you're positioning yourself ahead of the players. And, you know, if some guys hit a seven iron that's coming right down on the flag, you, you, you want to, you know, have that angle where you can see it and relate that to the audience as, as well as you possibly can. But, again, not interfere with the uh, the next player who's about to play from the same fairway. So, as you say, there's a lot going on there behind the scenes. Yeah, especially the old course, old the old school courses. Like, I mean, at Salem, they had this area right around 8, 9, and 11. And it was just, I mean, you know, the you know the tees are right by greens, and so you're trying to get, you have to almost find a position. I would literally shadow what Curtis Strange would do in front of me. <laughs> I would just watch where Curtis stood, and I was like, if he's doing it there, I probably can do the same thing. But there's a little bit more of a science than I think people understand being out there. That's why you know the guys are really that are really good at it are incredibly impressive because they make it seem so seamless when they're talking. Absolutely. You know, again, referring to the RSM, when, when I did it, I was with Roger Maltby a little bit, who, of course, is 
as good at it as or better than anybody and and I was just amazed at the, the at the flow that he was able to keep up and and he did and he'd he'd make his way over and get in the cart on occasion and ride here and there and when I did it myself the next day, I lost the cart guy in about thirty seconds and never <laughs> saw him because I was just wandering all over the you know, God's creation. And and it was so, uh, again, it's, as you say, there's, there's, there's a lot to learn. Yeah, a lot to learn. And I was just going to ask, I asked you this when we interviewed you at Aaron Hills, but I mean, health wise, you know, you feel great. I mean, this is another job you're taking where you're going to be walking five and six miles a day. I mean, you feel, you feel healthy. I mean, of course, you know, with everything that went down over the, over the winter, I mean, everything's working great for you. Yeah, it's great. I was actually a little disappointed in the last couple of weeks that, you know, on occasion you would read something where someone would suggest that my knees maybe had something to do with uh, <laughs> with Phil and I not working together anymore, and that couldn't be further from the truth because, to be quite honest with you, I was in a lot of pain the last couple of years prior to have this surgery uh, last October and the, literally could not have gone any better than it did, and I'm so thankful to the to the Dr. Firestone who did it, and, and now I'm, I'm pain-free and I'm raring to go, so... Um, I, I haven't felt this good in a long time and every caddy has little, you know, things that they deal with, but, uh, no, it's, it's great. I'm looking forward to getting out there and, uh, and walking and being with the guys and, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a good time. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's funny that you mentioned it. I mean, kind of the rumors that swirl around it, but it, you know, you guys mentioned it in your teleconference, it, you know, the mic's about a pound, those bags are about 50 pounds. So if anything, it's going to be a lot easier. You don't have to lug that big thing around when you when you would caddy, I mean, you, you've done it, I think you said 27 years. When you would caddy, when you would caddy those hilly golf courses, how happy were you when you got to 18 green? <laughs> well, yeah, you, you would be happy without question. But as I always tell people, you know, how heavy the bag feels is all dependent on what your player's score is. I mean, if you're, <laughs> you know, the guy's out there and he's, you know, and you're, you know, you're shooting 66 or 7, your, your player is, you, know, you can't even feel the bag on your shoulder. It's, it's those, it's those days when, you know, maybe the putts are lipping out and it's raining a little bit, uh, and, 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 you know, that, that the, the bag might feel a little heavier than otherwise. Absolutely. You, you walked Aaron Hills, and we got a chance to talk to you that week. It was kind of the big story basically surrounding the U.S. Open to start was, was, was Phil going to play, was he not going to play? You were approaching that week just like you would any tournament or any championship. I mean, you were scouting the golf course and getting yourself ready for it. Is your, is your scouting – as you do this on course, going to be very, very similar to the way you walk the golf course as a caddy. I think so. You know, I, you know, I'm very interested to 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 hear, you know, how far in advance I'll know, you know, who I would be covering, so to speak, when I'm out there. Because certainly, you know, if you're if you're you know covering a guy as dynamic as say a Dustin Johnson, you know, you would certainly think of the golf course differently as you went around it. But and of course, these guys are in twosomes and threesomes, so. Again, I mean, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's, as you know, as everybody knows, there's different styles of play out there. And if you're, if you're walking a golf course and thinking about how it might be played or what risks a player may take, it's, it's completely different thinking of Jordan Spieth than it is uh, Dustin Johnson because their style, styles of game are so different, even though, you know, they're two of the very best players in the world, obviously. Okay, I did some math on you and Phil, and I'm going to ask a few Phil questions just because, you know, it's, it's kind of my job. You and Phil sure. started in 1992, that's right, correct? Correct. Okay, so, I, and this is rough, but I just wanted to do this to give people an idea of, of just the time you guys have been together. That's 563 starts, but there were 12 before 92, so 551, 88 missed cuts, but 84 were with you on the bag in 92. So I did the math, and I gave you guys two and a half 
practice rounds a week, okay? That is 17,259 miles you walked with Phil. Now, that doesn't include the President's Cup, Ryder Cups, and all that stuff, so I added a little bit more to that. And my final number was 17,699 miles of walking a golf course together. The Earth is only 24,901 miles all the way around it. You guys almost walked the equator together in 27 years. <laughs> no wonder my back hurts. That's good. That's no, right. No, no wonder you had to get knee replacement. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It's, uh, it's amazing how far you go. I remember one day we were, we were doing a, um, we were doing a practice round at Whistling Straits and we were playing with Jeff Overton and his caddy wore one of those gizmos that tells you how many steps you take. <laughs> and he, and he, you know, he started at zero when he got out of his car, you know, to walk from caddy parking to the clubhouse. And anyway, w- by the time he got his, back into his car that night, it was, I think, right at 19,000 steps. And, uh, and, I, and you know, it's, uh, as you say, it's, it's a lot of walking. It's, it's, it's an incredible experience, I mean, that I've had with Phil the last 25 years. You know, the people that you meet, the things that you see, you know, the, the crazy stories that you can tell. You know, it's, uh, it's you know, it, 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 I'm so lucky to have been there and done that, so to speak. Well, I wanted to just ask, like I said, a few Phil questions. First question is, when I ask you the when that comes to mind, and I'm assuming a lot of people probably would guess it, but what what event or when pops in your head when you first think of you guys, you know, walking off 18 together after a victory? Well, it, it would it would be the the, the 2013 Open Championship, um, w- without question. You know, some I would want to say. You know, the 04 Masters, his first major win is certainly way up there. But to be quite honest with you, that was more a relief than anything else, at least for me, because, you know, it, you know, Phil obviously was this incredible player and still is. And, you know, for him to come out and have the kind of success that he had, and then you get this Tiger guy that shows up and he's, you know, and he's blowing a lot of people's doors off. And, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't easy to win major championships in that in that era and um you know when phil shot 31 on the back nine to win the matches in no four i mean it was such an incredible thing to witness and, and to see a guy play that well on that stage with that much pressure on him because as you know shane you know every single major he's showing up for you know he's sitting there and fielding questions about when he was going to win a major and, and to pull it off the way that he did that was that was incredible um still kind of blown away by it I, even though i always felt he would win multiple masters because the golf course is so good for him and it's a very good left-handed golf course i think that's something that gets left out of the equation a lot when people talk about that tournament but uh the 2013 open championship you know <laughs> i i don't know it, it was just it was surreal and amazing to me that a guy could you know play the best round of his life you know, on a Sunday to win a tournament of that magnitude. I mean, I would kind of think that maybe a guy would play the best round of his life, you know, when you're in 43rd place at the, uh, at a tournament, you know, on the West coast, maybe, but, um, as great as those tournaments are on the West coast, but there Phil was on that day, five behind, you know, with tiger on the leaderboard, Adam Scott, it was, it was a who's who to a large degree. And to, to be five behind and then win by three on one of the most iconic golf courses in the world, um, I, I just, it was just an amazing thing to witness. Yeah. They, they re-aired it last night on golf channel. I don't know if, did you get a chance to watch it or did you, did you know that was going to come on? 
I didn't know. Yeah, they they had they had it on, and and I forgot. You know, I mean, we watch a lot of golf. I mean, I you know I cover it you know fairly closely, but you know I forgot. I mean, I forgot how many how many he was back. You know, he wasn't even. They were barely showing him the first forty five minutes of airtime because he wasn't really in the conversation. I mean, they were showing Westwood and Tiger and Mayhan and all those guys, and then all of a sudden Phil starts to make that charge on the back nine. It was crazy. I will tell you the O four Masters. I was. I mean, I'm a lefty. I was the biggest Phil fan ever when I was a kid. And the 04 Masters was on Easter Sunday, and I was at my aunt's lake house, and by the by, you know, probably about 13 or 14, there was about 50 people huddled around probably a 12-inch non-HD TV watching the, the back nine there. I remember when Phil won, he complimented Casey Wittenberg and Butler Cabbage. I mean, he had you know, had the he had the, the mental ability to kind of push away what he'd just done and went, oh man, great back nine to Casey Wittenberg. And I was like, this guy just gets it. It, it was it was pretty cool. So you mentioned 04 and you mentioned 13. Which of the wins that maybe weren't majors is the one that kind of pops in your head as something that was spectacular or very feel-like or one that just kind of sticks with you? Wow. Uh, wow. Well, the, certainly one that jumps to mind was when, um, gee, I don't want to get the year wrong, in 2012, I believe, when he shot 64 on Sunday to win the tournament at Pebble Beach playing with Tiger yep. in the second to last group. And uh, as Phil said, you know, many, many times, he has so much respect for Tiger for not only what he, you know, accomplished or is accomplishing as a golfer, but also what he's done for all of us. You know, you know, I tell people all the time that, you know, I live in a nicer house because of Tiger Woods and, (laughs) and, and I'm able to, you know, do things with my kids as a result of, of what Tiger did for the game and everybody out there. And uh, I'm a big fan of Tigers and is one of my best friends caddies for him and was caddying for him that day, Joe LaCava. So, it, you know, to, to, to be on a golf, it was a beautiful day, you know, kind of pebble weather. And, you know, went out there and Phil kind of got off to that fast start you want to a pebble with that, you know, those easier holes, the first six or seven holes. And and it, it was just it was it was just great to, to, to watch Phil do his thing and and, uh, you know, to have Tiger there. Unfortunately, Tiger didn't have you know his best stuff that day, but uh, it, it was it was special to be walking up 18 in, in a real good position in that tournament with all that going on. Was that when y'all hit? Was that with the, when you had the long conversation when y'all went with four iron on 18? It was, yeah. It was. I mean, the, you know, the, the television did an amazing job that day of picking up the conversation on 18T, and of course, we had no idea that uh, the folks at home could hear what was being said so clearly. But uh, it was really weird because I think Phil thought that he was maybe leading by two. And I had, you know, we were waiting on 18T for the fairway to clear. And I cruised back towards 17 just to watch Charlie Wee hit his tee shot into 17, thinking, okay, well, this will give me an even better understanding of where Phil stands in the tournament. And Charlie Wee almost made a hole in one. He hit it to a foot. And I'm thinking to myself, well, Phil's lead has just gone from two to one. And, uh, you know, so it might be a bit of a shock to a system when, when we get over to the tee. So I was very glad that, you know, he ended up asking me what was going on. And then, as you say, we got into the conversation about what to hit because as aggressive as Phil, you know, likes to play and has had a lot of success doing, that was uh, one of those opportunities where, you know, we were trying to get it uh, on green grass off the tee on a hole that fits a right-handed shot 
much better than it does a left-handed one. Yeah, it's not the easiest. It's not the easiest shot for a lefty when you're staring at the ocean. You're literally looking at it as you're about to hit that tee shot. Would you Would you share that info? I mean, was Phil was Phil a guy that wanted you to let him know everything that was going on, or was he, was he a scoreboard watcher, or was it more kind of on you to to kind of feel the situation out? No, he's a big time scoreboard watcher, and again, I think that that's part of what makes him so good. He wants to know where he is, what he wants to do. I've always said that Phil's one of those guys that if you went over to him, you know, on the 15th hole on Sunday and determined he was in contention and he could probably recite to you, you recite to you the entire leaderboard because he's got this incredible memory. So, um, again, he's a, you know, he's a big stage kind of player and, and he always wanted to know uh, what he needed to do coming in. What were your thoughts when you first heard that Phil was going to play with two drivers? Um, well, that's a good question. Um, I, I don't know how far in advance I knew, but I do know that the week before that 06 Masters, he won in Atlanta by 13. So by that point, I was all in. That's whatever you want to do. Win. Yeah, you're going to have to play with six drivers next week. That was literally one of those weeks where, you know, you, you, know, you win by 13 in Atlanta, and the Masters is the next week, and you're just trying to cruise off the momentum that you're obviously the good momentum that you're coming in with. And I remember it was one of those weeks where he was working really hard to kind of get to the leaders. And then when he finally did, I mean, it was almost like he could kind of just like, you know, relax a little bit. He was there, he was at the top of the leaderboard and then just left, you know, this good mojo that he had kind of take over. And, and to be honest with you, again, I've, I've, I've always, I've always thought, you know, one of the more underrated things that, that you don't hear about in, in the world of professional golf is on those big days is your pairing. And, um, you know, if you go back and you look at professional golf over the last 25 years or so, some golfers have had some really good days playing on major Sundays with Fred Couples. If you look at Justin Leonard when he won the Open Championship in, I think, 1997, he was playing with Fred on Sunday. And, and Phil was playing with Fred on Sunday in 2006. And you know, it was a it was a, a day that when, when Phil was probably going to do very well anyway. But you're out with a guy that's as beloved and great to be around as Fred, and it just makes everything that much better. All right, I'm going to ask you one last question, and I'll let you go. You were a caddy for a long time, and the age old question is going to come up: Why is it that most caddy player celebrations end up incredibly awkward? <laughs> uh. <laughs> Well, you know, it's, it, it, I would say maybe it's hard to win out there, so maybe they don't get to do it as much as uh, some other tandems do. I, what, did you, what did you think about the Spieth-Glove celebration? It. I thought it was tremendous. Oh, it was the best. I, I said it was the best one ever. I mean, you guys, you guys after 04 was pretty great because it didn't try to be more than it needed to be. It was just like you said, it was a relief hug. I mean, I feel like you did a great job with that. But there's been so many of these... You know, it's it's the it's the missed high fives or the you go with the high five and the pound. I always wonder if if caddies and players go, we're always going with the pound or we're always going with the high five. <laughs> you kind of script your celebrations. I hear what you're saying. You might be onto something here. You know, uh, yeah, it's it's. I think that uh, that maybe it's just such a relief. You know, when those guys are able to pull off these big wins that they do that. Uh, at that point, as you're kind of walking towards each other, you're just exhaling so much you kind of forget that uh, you know the cameras are on or whatever the case may be. But it's funny because uh, when Phil won the Masters in '04, he got roughed up a little bit for his 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 leap on yeah, the, the, vert- the vertical. Yeah, the vertical was was yeah. wasn't the greatest. And, 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 
which I thought was a little unfair. Actually, somebody sent me a picture, you know, some years later from a different angle where I, I felt like I should take it to the golf world and say, listen, this is, <laughs> this is proof positive that he got way more air than, 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 than you might have thought. But when he made the putt on the 18th green um, on Sunday last year at, at the uh, Ryder Cup in the, during his singles match with Sergio Garcia, you know, a must make from 25, 30 feet, it was, there's this great photo of Phil in this much larger leap and, and I was, and I happened to be in the background of this photo, and I, and I remember just watching him going, okay, here's another leap, and I know this one's going to be bigger and better than the one in the four, and I remember just kind of taking it in, because as you say, uh, you know, people are watching when the celebration happens, and you, you want it to go as well as possible. Yeah, it was it was it was just it was like an added joke to the to the O four thing with Phil because it was just fun to do it. I mean, I just feel like people like you said it might have been an awkward uh, angle or whatever, but it was great. It, it was like so Phil that it helped out. I, I lied to you. I do have one more question. Which one hits you harder in your heart, the fifty nine and a half or the sixty two and a half? Oh man, the sixty two and a half. I'm still a little bit bitter about that. I got to be honest. Um, <laughs> that was just it was just so perfect. It just it had to end. I thought with that ball going in the hole and it was such a cool day because we were playing with uh, Westwood and Ernie Els. And, you know, when a guy's got a round like that going, it's a little bit like a guy throwing a no hitter in baseball and that you usually don't go over to the guy and say, Hey, you know, you're throwing a no hitter. And uh, so Phil, Phil hit, 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 hit this tee shot on 18 that day. And the club selection, he ended up hitting like this three quarter six sign. And we could tell from the reaction of the uh, spectators that the ball was relatively close to the hole. And so uh, we went walking up the fairway about 10 or 15 yards towards the green and Phil stopped and literally called a team meeting in the middle of the fairway. He goes, hey, hang on a second, you, you know, team meeting. And, ba- he, and he basically said, you know what this is for, don't you? And I'm like, you better believe I do. Right. And so uh, he wanted to know, he wanted to make sure I knew how important this spot was because he was thinking about asking me to help read it. And we took a few more steps and getting back to that whole no hitter thing, Ernie Els came over and put his arm around Phil and was like, You've got to make this. You've got to make this. This is for 62. <laughs> Just totally put it on Phil. It was great. We were all laughing because obviously they're old friends and, and, and have been around the game for a long time now. And it was anyway. So I still cannot believe Shane that putt didn't go in. And, and sometime after that, uh, I, I was leaving the course and Steve Sands pulled me over and, and uh, NBC had a shot of it. And I'm not sure it was a shot that ever kind of got on TV but it was a super close-up, and you could actually see that maybe something that had come out out of the nearby bunker affected the ball just as it got to the hole, and maybe it jumped it, it jumped offline a little bit. But I, I, I'm still losing sleep over that putt not going in. God, it was so close. I'll tell you, 59.5 was really close. Two granted, now he did shoot 59. Should have shot 58 in that, what was it, the Grand Slam of golf? When that, was, that was as locked in, I think, as Phil's ever been. <laughs> he just throwing yeah. dart after dart. Yeah. He, he had an eagle, like a six-footer for yeah. eagle on 18. Yeah, and those were on really heavy Bermuda greens. I don't typically read a lot of putts for Phil, or didn't, I should say, but on Bermuda greens, heavy Bermuda greens, I would read a lot, which was the case those couple of days in Hawaii. And so we were cruising around that day, and obviously he had this magic round going on, and and the last hole was a par five. He had driver in the fairway and hit six nine to ten feet. And so he says, you know, what do you got? And, uh, And I remember reading it and uh, saying, you know, it was a ball out, and it ended up breaking more than that. But the one thing I hadn't factored in was the last thing that the guy was going to do with a putt for 59 was to knock it two and a half feet by like he might typically do. And that I should have read a lot more break in it because even for Phil, if you were ever going to lag a putt up there, 
it was a it was a ten footer for fifty eight, so you wouldn't have to sweat over the putt for fifty nine. That's right. If he's ever going to lag one, it was the time to do it. Bones, I really appreciate the time uh, as a golf fan. I'm I'm really fired up uh, to see what goes on at the Open Championship. So you're doing Open Championship, FedEx Cup, and then the Presidents Cup, right? Yeah, I believe so. I'm uh, very excited about it. Well, it'll be fun. Thanks so much for the time, and uh, we'll catch up down the road. You guys, Shane, thanks for having me on. Well, that will do it for this episode of The Clubhouse. Sorry it's been so long since we rolled one out. It was a busy, busy last couple of weeks in Scotland and the Senior Open and all that. So we'll get back on a a better regimen over the next few weeks. Got some exciting guests coming up as we near the British Open. And then, of course, roll right into the PGA Championship and then the FedEx Cup playoffs. We've got a lot of golf over the next few weeks, including the U.S. Women's Open. Make sure you check that out next week on FS1 and Fox as I'll be hosting Thursday and Friday. Just a reminder... Go to OGIO.com, O-G-I-O.com. I'm telling you, this Cirrus golf bag is great. It's hot out there right now. It is summertime, and if you're going to walk, A, make sure you get the early tee time, and B, get this golf bag, the Cirrus bag from OGIO, 3.2 pounds. It's got plenty of pocket space. It's got a spot for your bottled water. It's really the only bag you'll need if you like to carry and play golf when it's hot out there. Check that out at OGIO.com. And also check out Scratch. They're doing some amazing stuff. My, one of my favorite Twitter accounts out there, S-K-R-A-T-C-H, Scratch. They just roll out content that makes golf a little bit more fun, and I think that's what we're all looking for. They try not to take themselves too seriously. You shouldn't either. Hopefully you get a round in over the weekend. There's a lot going on. Wimbledon's on. You've got Rory's event in Ireland. You've got the Greenbrier. There's a lot of golf happening right now. It's an exciting time. Kyle Porter wrote a great piece last week for CBS, basically saying he watched every event over the weekend and enjoyed every single one of them. So make sure you tune into that. Hopefully you get a round in. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Subscribe if you did. Make sure you write a review if you don't mind. We've been sending out some koozies from the clubhouse over the last few weeks, and I'm going to be sure to send them out. All you got to do is really hit us up on Twitter, and we'll get you one. Hope you guys have a great weekend, and we will check back next week.